Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now has been manifested to us through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are well aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. For you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. <coughs> think, of, think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, 
the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, which is why I suffer, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is now bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with, with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the, the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are vessels of gold and silver and also of wood and clay some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with irreverent, foolish controversies, for you know they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and so escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. 
but they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all, just as it was with those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, persecutions which I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have known those sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, with reproof, rebuke, and correction, with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will not endure listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also, the books, above all, the parchments. Alexander the carpersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
greet Prisca and Aquila and the houses of Onesiphorus. Erastus remains at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings as the Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, we praise you and thank you for your holy scriptures. It is our most beloved and priceless treasure. For in the scriptures, we find your son, Jesus Christ. We discover through the scriptures who you are. You're a sovereign, righteous, thrice holy God who cannot look at sin. And we discover through the scriptures that all our grandiose ideas about ourselves are empty chatter. That we have fallen short of the glory of God. That we are woeful, desperate, helpless sinners. That though we are righteous in our sight, let God be true, every man a liar. That we have a deep, pervasive sin that stains us in our sins and even our righteousness. And we have no standing before you. And yet to our surprise and joy, it is through your holy scriptures we are told of the gospel of Christ, the good news of your Son, that though we should have received condemnation and final judgment, you have given us your best. You have given us your Son, and He died in our place. God made Him, when you know sin, to be sin for us, so that we might be your righteousness, that we might be adopted into your family, that we might have the position of first sons, that we might be co-heirs with Christ. Lord, this is all contained in your holy book, and how it is a treasure to us. We thank you for these holy scriptures, and we thank you that we are able to read and study and meditate and memorize and ponder upon your truths so that we might, as we gaze upon you, conform to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in every way and thus reflect your glory to this fallen world that men might be snatched from the fire. God, we, we thank you for this oh, great and precious gift And may we uphold it, not by just study, but by trusting in it, by believing in its truth, and above all, believing Jesus Christ, your Son. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. Well, a few months ago, I saw Pastor John Piper recite Philippians by memory. He was preaching through the book, and he wanted to convey by his example the importance of the Word of God. 
I was greatly impacted by his powerful demonstration of his commitment to the Holy Scriptures. Philippians is a very familiar book to me, as to many of you. And yet, hearing him recite it by memory, it was like I was hearing it for the very first time. Hearing it live in that way reminded me of the importance of the Word of God for the Christian. That indeed, the Word of God is breathed out, inspired by God Himself. That it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And the Scripture is what informs us and is profitable to us for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that we might be equipped, competent for every good work in Christ's church. Reminded me how it is utterly unique and the only source of truth. It is only through the Bible we discover the God of this, the, the true God. It is only through the Bible we discover that He is a thrice holy God a sovereign, just, majestic God, our Creator. It is only through the Scriptures we find what wicked, evil, depraved sinners we are and how we are deceived. We are blind. We are insane. We are mad. For we think we are righteous. We think we are better than others. And only in the Bible do we discover this horrific truth about ourselves. And yet, just when we are ready to be terrorized by this awesome God, the same scriptures tell us of the good news of Jesus Christ. The news that God, instead of sending His Son to condemn and judge us and send us to hell for eternity, He sent His only Son to rescue us, to deliver us, to pay the ransom for our sins. And that ransom price was His only Son. The Lord, instead of coming to judge the world, He went under God's judgment and endured the full wrath of God. He took our sins and became sin on our behalf. This is why the Bible is so glorious. This is why this book is so precious to us. To all blood-bought people, we love the Bible because the Bible proclaims and teaches us about our Savior, Jesus Christ. No other book in the world contains this gospel truth that saves us and that sanctifies us. We are so prone to forget this. We are so prone to have a low view of God's Word, to not love it and value it and cherish it as we ought. This is why Pastor Piper's sermon was so impactful to my heart. And so I devoted several months to memorizing 2 Timothy so that you also might be reminded of the value of God's Word and thus cherish it by your life and by your priorities, by your commitments, by your decisions, so that you might be further reminded that what fuels our commitment to the Word of God is not duty, 
but a passion that comes from faith in Christ. That one of the first fruits that God produces in us through the gospel is a love for Him and His Word. Therefore, for a Christian, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. It is our delight. It is our joy. As Job said in Job 15, 16, I delight your word more than my daily bread. It is not duty or obligation. When God saves a man, He transforms his affections. And the first, one of the first affections given to a Christian is this deep, abiding, pervasive longing for God's word. We want to hear Him. We want to know Him. We want to understand His will for us. Because of the gospel, we love this book. We love this book because of the one who wrote it. We love this book because of the message of the gospel that it contains. So for the Christian, this is natural. This is a direct consequence of faith. We have this love affair with the Word of God because the Bible reveals to us God's love toward us and helps us to believe and helps us to drive out our unbelief. Psalm 119, 25-32, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told them my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. <coughs> and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. Graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. Oh, Yahweh, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the path of your commands. For you have enlarged my heart. So as Christians, we understand that the Word of God is our non-negotiable. Some adjectives we use for the Word of God that it it's that it is vital for our Christian faith. It is crucial. It is essential. It is central. Salvation, sanctification can't get around can't get around the Word of God. Scripture in it we find truth found nowhere else concerning how we are to be saved and how we are to be sanctified through faith. And in Christ Jesus. Now I chose this day to recite Second Timothy because of the portion that we are slotted to study. Chapter three, verses fourteen and verse fifteen. We'll study chapter verse sixteen next week. But as for you, continue what you have learned, and I firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have known the whole sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. A precious portion of the scriptures. Here we get an inside view of Paul's heart and an insight into what is in the heart of God, all godly men and women. In, a, in the heart of a godly man or woman, you'll find 
concern for fellow Christians and concern for the future of the church. An ungodly man is just concerned for himself. Ungodly man is utterly self-centered, self-absorbed, selfish, and is what consumes his, his thoughts. And cons- The favorite topic of his conversation is about centers around himself. For a godly man like Paul, their concern is for fellow Christians. So for Paul, while he's chained as a criminal in a dungeon, his concern is not about himself, but what happened to him. His concern is for the church. And because he's concerned for the church, he's concerned for Timothy. And he's exhorting him to continue because his time is coming to an end. He's passing the baton to Timothy. And he wants Timothy continue to continue in the Word of God and sound teaching so that the church might continue to grow, continue to mature, continue to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, we see this exemplified in, in our Lord Himself uh, in His high priestly prayer on the eve before his death in John 17, he gathers his disciples around him in an upper room discourse and he prays for them. He's hours away from experiencing hell, hours away from having our sins upon him and experiencing that the terrifying separation from the God, the Father whom he loved. And yet who is he praying for? He's praying for his disciples. In John 17, 9, I am praying for them. I am praying for those whom you have given me. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Our Lord understanding that his incarnational ministry is coming, coming to an end. He commits them to the Word of God. And he continues, I have given them your Word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Our Lord was, uh, his departure was, was near, so he commits them in prayer to the Word of God, and this is the exact same thing Paul is doing. Knowing that he is about to depart, he commits Timothy to the Word of God, because of his concern for the church. This is urgent for Paul. This is pressing. This is important for, all, for, for Paul because there are three looming threats to Timothy. And if uh, Timothy is not careful, he's going to quit. He's going to shipwreck his faith. He's going to desert and turn away from Christ. Just like Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're going to turn away from the truth. 
three looming threats. The first one is persecution. Paul well knows that there is great persecution brewing in the horizon for Timothy. It is just the beginning. You know, he's not prognosticating good times to come. He well knows. He just said this in a few verses earlier. He, he talked to Timothy about the persecutions that Timothy had direct knowledge of, the persecutions he endured at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. And he says, not just to me. It's not unique just to me. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Family, friends, neighbors, or strangers will persecute them. And Paul knew this was uh, waiting for Timothy. And so he calls Timothy Chapter 1, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 4, verse 5. He prepares him for suffering. And he's calling him to continue for this threat is looming. Second threat is uh, false teachers. There's not only uh, opposition from the outside the church, there is opposition from within the church. Verse 13, he calls them evil people. They're imposters. They're in the church. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They have disguised themselves as angels of light, as sheep, but inside the ravenous wolves. They have come to devour the flock, as Peter warned. These imposters are going from bad to worse. And they're deceiving others. Wow, they are themselves being deceived. They're causing believers to be blown and tossed by the wind, by every wind of doctrine that comes their way. They are, Titus 1.10, insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. They're upsetting whole families. They're, 1 Timothy 4.1, insincere liars. They uh, pack on to babbling and quarrels and controversies and in that way creep into households and look for the most vulnerable person who is burdened with sins and led astray by various passions and in that sensual way lead people astray from Christ. Only chance Timothy has is to cling to the Word of God. The third threat is possibly the most difficult for Timothy. I think for Timothy, he could handle the first two long as uh, he was following Paul long as Paul was taking the brunt of the attacks and Timothy was getting the leftovers, right? long as Paul was with him, Timothy could stand. But the third thread was the time of departure for Paul has come. He is already, it's, it's begun. He's already being poured out as a drink offering, just a few drops left. And so Timothy will be alone. This is the most terrifying prospect for him to go at ministry alone. The first two he can handle with Paul being there, but now to face persecutions from outside and ravenous wolves from evil people and imposters on the inside. Timothy, it's too much for him to handle. So Paul knows this. 
So what does Paul do? Paul says, Timothy, all men, we're temporal. We're not essential. We're not vital. You have the Holy Scriptures. You're acquainted with the sacred writings, which is not only powerful for salvation, but it's effectual for the Christian life and ministry. You need not fear or fret concerning persecution and, and opposition from within as if you have no help. You know the Word of God, which is powerful to aid you and help you continue in the ministry in the church. He points Timothy's heart towards the faithful and sure Word of God. The Word of God that he had been, has been acquainted with, acquainted with since his childhood <coughs> calls him, this is the only imperative in this passage, continue, mene. Do not turn away. Do not turn aside. Continue in the path of truth and what you have learned, meaning uh, these truths, these doctrines, these sound teachings. And not only have you learned this, you've become, you've become convinced, firmly believed. It's from Montano, which is related to Mathetes, disciple. It carries the connotation of intentional learning. Timothy has, had learned the scriptures and learned this body of doctrine. And he himself took ownership of it. He became firmly believed. He firmly believed in it. This term means something that is a fixed and firm belief. That's what a conviction is. It's not a theory. It's not an idea. Not a preference. But it is his conviction. That means it's non-negotiable. It is not up for grabs. It's a place where you don't compromise. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't let anything change your convictions. Everything else can come and go, but this body of truth, continue in it. Second encouragement he gives is uh, knowing from whom you have learned it. Timothy, be assured of your convictions because you know whom you have learned it. You've learned it from your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and most importantly, you've learned it from me. Now, as those who are committed to the sovereignty of God, we must not go away from the scriptures and discount the human means that God uses for the purpose of ministry. Yes, God is sovereign. His will will be done. But God uses normal human means with the work of ministry. And here it tells us that our convictions are greatly helped by the godliness, by the integrity, by the faithfulness of our spiritual leaders. At the conduct of our spiritual leaders have a direct relationship, direct bearing on our faith, on our convictions, on our belief system. This is not the way it is in the world. Your faith about whether politics or 
you know, philosophies or ideas of economy or, or business systems or, or, or any other social sciences is not dependent on the character of his teachers. In fact, a lot of these teachers are immoral, are sinful men and women, but has no bearing on what they teach. It's about the content, not about the person propagating these ideas. But not in the Christian church. Not in Christian ministry. The character of spiritual leaders has a direct bearing on the conviction of people in the church. We see an insight of why it is so important for us to maintain uh, consistent lives of faithfulness to the Lord. If we are hypocritical, if we are duplicitous, if we're disingenuous, if there is corruption in our private lives, uh, it doesn't just affect uh, our relationship with Christ. It affects the church. And it directly affects uh, the faith of believers. Yes, we know God is sovereign. Uh, yes, God produces faith that is all by grace. But God uses he- human means of spiritual leaders in the church and has a direct bearing on God's people. I was told this story many years ago. We're in a church service, and I knew the leaders of that church. They were telling me about the Sunday where they had to tell the church about how their lead pastor was disqualified from the ministry. They had to make this announcement of how he fell because of sin in his life. And the pastor was telling me there was one gal in the front row who couldn't stop crying for the rest of the service. They went to her to counsel her, and her heart was... I was led by led to Christ by this man and now I am struggling I don't know what to believe or how much of it was true how much of it was false I don't know where my faith is as a young believer on a human level God uses his people and we see how it has a direct bearing on people's faith that's why As leaders in the church, we are concerned with our conduct, with our concern, we're concerned with our affairs, our decisions, our our way of life, not for our sake, but for the sake of the church. On Paul's side, it is wholly positive. Paul finished well. Paul says, Timothy, look at these false teachers. Their folly is plain to all, just like Janice and Jambres. Right? Their folly is plain. Their foolishness is clear. But you've, you've known my life. And I finished the race. And knowing this, it should firm up your convictions, your faith. And then verse 15. He points to uh, the sacred writings the Holy Scriptures. These doctrines that Timothy had firm convictions on were based on the sacred writings that Timothy himself knew. Christianity is not an esoteric religion, an esoteric faith. I I, I read this week 
on Scientology, uh, they don't tell you what they believe until you take these workshops and you pay for each workshop. So truth is kept from uh, the Scientologists. And only way they can learn higher and higher truths is if they earn, attend more seminars and workshops and they pay or work for, Scient- for Scientology. It's an esoteric religion. Uh, Christianity is not that way at all. There is no hidden truth. Scripture is not kept from anyone. It is open before all. The man teaches sound teaching and you can search the scriptures to see if what he's saying is true or not. So Timothy, you know what I taught you is truth because you yourselves, from childhood, you're acquainted with the sacred writings. And you know that these sacred writings are able to give you wisdom, to discern truth from error. So much so, give you wisdom for salvation. And this is where uh, we, be, we began with. This wisdom for salvation is found only in the scriptures, only in the Bible. You will not find it in your own hearts. You will not find it in the, in the world, in any religion. Anywhere you go, you'll find that the message is the same, that we are saved by works. We're saved by our own righteousness, resident righteousness, or, or active righteousness. To please God, to be accepted by God, we need to earn that favor somehow, earn that uh, uh, salvation somehow. It is only in the scriptures we find this uh, revolutionary truth that we are saved by grace alone and through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. So I love uh, the way Paul puts this. Uh, You are acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. If you stop there, my heart would drop. But Paul continues, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that formula is important. The correct way of saying it is we're saved by grace through faith so that faith is not a work that we do to be saved. We are saved by undeserved grace, undeserved favor, through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what gives us wisdom to be saved. We're not saved by being wise, studying the Word of God, memorizing it, meditating it, understanding it, and by in that way, we become saved. I mean, that's the way of the Pharisees. That was the Pharisaical route. In John 5.39, Jesus came to them and he rebuked them. You search the scriptures. You diligently study. You meditate. You memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Some Pharisees memorized the whole Old Testament, yet you refuse to come to me. And believe in me when the scriptures testify of me. See, for the Pharisees, salvation lied in studying the Word of God, in meditating, memorizing, in their work of understanding the Word of God. But the Bible tells us no. Paul tells us no. We're made wise for salvation, not through scripture, but through faith in scripture. The issue is faith. So without faith, the Word of God is utterly 
unprofitable. The word of God is helpless. It's powerless. There is no dunamis in scripture without faith for our salvation or our sanctification. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. While the promise of entering his faith still stands, let us fear lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they did not apply their faith. They were not united by faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying is we preach the gospel, but for this group of people, it had no effect, no result, because they did not believe it. They did not trust it. They did not rely upon Jesus Christ, who is the author of the scriptures and whom the scripture all points to. The Word of God itself has no power, no effect without faith in Christ. That is why the most important application is uh, to repent from unbelief to belief. The application of I need to memorize, I need to study, I need to read, I need to devote myself to God's Word. Uh, It's purposeless, it's pointless, without faith. That's why, in, in essence, the call to repentance is repent from unbelief to belief. This is the essential call to every sermon, to every message. This is the essential call to the whole of our ministry to call people to repent from unbelief and to believe in Jesus Christ. Because it is faith in Him alone that gives us wisdom for salvation. And it is, the, it is faith in Him alone that enables us to be sanctified, that makes us holy. That's why uh, you know, Christless preaching is powerless preaching. That's why a Christless uh, study of the Word is powerless. You know, Christless memorization of the Word is powerless. That's why Christless marriage is powerless. This is why a Christless prayer life is powerless. This is why a Christless Evangelism is powerless if we immerse ourselves in all these things without faith in Jesus. It is to no effect. The end is Jesus Christ, which is receiving salvation from Christ, from faith. You ask, what is the purpose of Scripture? so that we might believe in Jesus and receive salvation from Jesus. What must I do now? No, you believe in Jesus and you receive sanctification from Jesus. And not only sanctification, we receive glorification from Jesus. As we believe, we receive from Christ through the Word of God. The end is not what we do for Christ, 
But the end is discovering what he has and is and will continue to do for us. Let's pray. Lord, we close our time by thanking you for Jesus Christ. It's through faith in him that we are saved. It is not through our discipline of study. It's not through our wisdom of attending church and listening to your word. It's not by any works that we have done. But it's by your grace, through the faith that you have given to us, that we have been saved and that we are being sanctified when one day we'll be glorified to be with you forever. Oh God, therefore, in view of this great mercy that we have been given, Lord, our, our heart's prayer is that you would grow in us a deep, abiding, passionate, longing for your word. That our relationship with the word of God would not be one of duty and obligation, would not be one of dry discipline, of relying on our flesh, forcing ourselves to open its pages. But Lord, it would be a work of faith because we believe and because we understand your love for us And because we understand the power of the scriptures to liberate us from unbelief to greater faith in you, Lord, give us, grant to us by grace a deep longing and a hunger and a thirst for your scriptures where we are lost in it. We savor it. It is our our, our morning meditation. It is how we close our evenings and throughout the watches of the night your truths are on our lips because of your love for us. God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for our legalistic view of the Word of God and how we have treated it so by having a low view of it and a high view of ourselves. Oh Lord, forgive us. Lord, May we uh, close our time by just glorifying you by faith and waiting for you, waiting for you to create this love for your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.